July 8, 1879. Amid great fanfare and an 11-gun salute, the SS Jeanette leaves San Francisco, planning to sail through the newly purchased Alaskan territory and onto the top of the world. Its mission was bold, to make the United States the first nation to reach the North Pole. But the Jeanette would never make it, and the crew's ensuing struggle to survive and make it home would make headlines all over the world. I'm Charlotte. I'm Patrick. I'm Brian. Ahoy and welcome aboard Ship Hits the Fan, a podcast about some of history's most notable uh-ohs and whoopsies on the high seas. I fell through the ice once, walking upon a frozen river, less so than initially presumed. Resica Falls, Pennsylvania drew from her sheath the icy dagger what plunged into my legs that day. I lived to tell the tale, but the mark left by those icy conditions left me a changed woman. Charlotte lived that day. The same cannot be said of Jeanette. Oh my God, you're trying to rhyme Charlotte and Jeanette? <laughs> Good Lord. I still don't understand poetry. Horrible, <laughs> horrible. Well, clearly I do. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, thank you, everyone who uh, each week puts up with stuff like that. Just really awful, awful poetry. There. Well, they get um, a break when it's a particularly gruesome shipwreck. So that's true. That's something. I guess something. I have that to look forward to. Thank you uh, for listening, for following. Got a ton of people listening to the show. Oh, yeah. Huge yeah. success. Everyone's talking about it. But tell a friend still. We're trying to, yeah, we're still trying tell to blow a friend. this out. Still tell a mom. Don't, let's not rest on our popular laurels. No, no, no. And follow us at Ship Hits Pod on all the socials. And yeah. We're, we're going to be better about posting the photos that we keep saying we're going to post <laughs> and all that. Uh, we are. Yeah. Understand that we we are the ones promoting this show. So yeah. we are, it's sometimes just what we can get together. But we will post them. All right. Let's get into it. The USS Jeanette was initially called the HMS Pandora and started out in 1861 as a Royal Navy gunboat, part of the British Empire. The wooden ship was 146 feet long and weighed about 428 tons. It was constructed as a bark sailing vessel, but its main propulsion was a steam-driven propeller. It had its bases covered. Yeah. It looked like one of those Columbus ships, but it, it had a little power underneath. Yeah, it's it's so strange because it, it does look like that, but then it just also has a big uh, <laughs> steam. Outboard big, motor. Big yeah, yeah. steam engine. Yeah. The HMS Pandora served for more than a decade off the West African coast and in the Mediterranean. Maybe Pandora also, just side note, not the best name for a ship. Pick something else, Pandora. Yeah. Are you talking about the box or the planet from James Cameron's Avatar? (laughs) Which came first? They worked off the coast of Africa hauling unobtainium. (laughs) (laughs) Pandora was eventually sold as a private yacht in 1875 to the British explorer Alan Young. After taking the ship on two Arctic trips, Young would eventually sell the ship in 1877 to the American newspaper publisher James Gordon Bennett Jr. Wow. Yeah, who ran the New York Herald, at the time the largest paper in the world. He was like the uh, Rupert Murdoch of the 1870s. It, was it novel to buy a yacht for rich guys then? Because now it's just like... <laughs> Definitely a sailing yacht, right? Exploring the Arctic was a big thing around this time and especially in the UK. So this seems to track and 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 rich guys love doing stuff like this back in the day. Kind of like space. This was kind of like Exactly. Yeah, space I was going to say it's yeah, it's the space race of its time. The private space race. So yeah. a very blue origin SpaceX getting to the poles was huge. Was hot. <laughs> So Bennett planned to use all that money of his to finance a voyage to explore the Arctic in the newly renamed SS Jeanette. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. 
I wonder if it was named after his sweetie. And it was also basically like, it was like a publicity stunt too. I mean, it was like, this was back when newspapers would just do this to sell newspapers. They would, they would go to the Arctic. They would start wars with Spain, just do mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. Whatever it takes to move papers. Yeah. The height of kind of the yellow journalism age. Yeah. I mean, at least they actually did it. You know, they weren't making it up. They actually sent someone to the polls. to. <laughs> they to did do that. Papers. Yeah. To put up a sign. Yeah. Read the Herald. Author Hampton Sides, who wrote a book about the expedition, described Bennett as a, quote, spoiled brat of the Gilded Age who pretty much did whatever he wanted. Oh, cool. Yeah. (laughs) Here's a guy we're going to love, I'm sure. Sides said of Bennett, he was into spectacle and sports. He was a duelist. He had yachts all over the world. He was a reckless sailor who won the first transatlantic yacht race and was into balloon racing. (laughs) Uh, 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 Tony Stark. He's to- Tony sure, Stark. Sure. Billionaire playboy philanthropist. Uh huh. <laughs> well, I didn't see anything about philanthropy in there. No, maybe not. <laughs> if he didn't have money, he would have been like a total loser, like just a giant. Nerd. A lazeabout. Mm-hmm. A dandy. Yes. Now, it's important to remember at this time, there were still people who thought you could somehow reach the North Pole by ship, and there was somewhat of a contest to see who could get there first. I mean, you could, couldn't you? Well, not, not, not all the way. It's okay, not as simple it, as they uh, thought. Side said that Alaska had been fairly recently purchased from Russia and people desperately wanted to know what was north of our new territory. So the idea was to push north of the Bering Strait and try to reach the North Pole by a route that had never been tried before. It's, it's so wild to me. Like, yeah, well, I don't know what's in the land. But I'll, we'll take it. We have to get. Oh yeah, yeah it's yeah. like a it's like a uh, lapsed storage unit. <laughs> yes, it's like uh, it's there's probably something up there, right? Surely there's got to be something good. There. Hey, give me a uh, give me Alaska. Yeah. I'll just I'll take Alaska. Fine, yeah. This is like buying property in Austin. Just somebody from overseas calls in. Is it west of Mopac? Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, I don't care what it looks like. I'll take it. Yep. And they probably do do pretty good on it. Yeah, probably. Rates, uh, rents are pretty high down there yeah, lately, From what right? I've heard. Yeah. It is awful. Okay, good. <laughs> okay, awesome. Okay. <laughs> Bennett wanted to sail a ship through the Bering Strait with the idea that a Pacific Ocean current called the Kuro Siwo would provide a warm water pathway through the Arctic ice, allowing a ship to reach and explore the North Pole in what some believed was a polar sea at the top of the world. This was a prevailing theory at the time, that there was an open polar sea that was an ice-free ocean surrounding the North Pole. Yeah, I thought this was super interesting, so I went to go look why people thought this, and I trekked through the Wikipedia page, and some people just believed that ice only formed near land, and without land near the North Pole, there could be no ice, which is like, I don't know, I think water is more important to ice. (laughs) In land. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is my favorite point is that Russian explorers found large areas of open water north of Svalbard. And <laughs> so they thought, surely there must be other areas of right. open water. Anyway, like anyone was looking for any kind of reason. And now there's like sort of a reemergence of this line of thinking, but that's going off of climate change. So Hey, maybe there's hope yet for the Polar Sea. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's coming. Yeah, it'll be there soon. I only wish Bennett were alive to see it. <laughs> it's a great tragedy of this. I think they were also looking for like new routes still to like, I, I you know, sort of for, I don't know, a little shipping shortcut or things oh, like yeah. that. So I think that was still part of it. This strikes me as like 
the like geopolitical version of like all the big routes and stuff have already been discovered, all the fun stuff. It's like when you're looking, you're like, I swear I had five bucks in a pair of pants and like, or, or you're like, I think this paycheck never came. Like I, there's, there's more money somewhere where I can find it. Yeah. This can't be my last ounce. I have to have some <laughs> elsewhere in the apartment. Yeah. It's gotta be where God. I've checked all my PlayStation 4 cartridges. Yeah, not my car. I've checked all my PlayStation 4 cases. As sides put it, the North Pole seemed as inaccessible as the moon. There was also a good bit of nationalism behind it. We wanted to beat the British and the Scandinavians and the other powers. You really stick it, stick it to those Norsemen. Yep. Yeah, they were the big dogs, I think. And we were kind of like post-Civil War. I think we were trying to do kind of bigger things on the world stage, get our, get our name out there and... I think this was definitely part of it. Yeah, it's like, uh, what's the sport where you ski and shoot? Oh, the biathlon. Yes. Yeah. Like, look, the U.S. Has, stands a good chance in a lot of the, a lot of countries stand a good chance in a lot of those sports, but no one is beating the Scandinavians at the biathlon. No, that's how they make their living. Yeah. <laughs> that's how they get to work. Uh, so many ships had tried to make the voyage to the supposed open polar sea. One of the first serious attempts to reach the North Pole was the Polaris Expedition of 1871 to 1873, which was financed by the U.S. government. That trip was a disaster, and the ship eventually wrecked near northern Greenland. Yeah, I feel like every, like, so often I found out about a new ship that's like a completely different expedition out there into the middle of nowhere. Like, people just kept throwing ships against these conditions to both to Antarctica and the Arctic. Yes. It was yeah. like, I get those two. I get those expeditions confused all the time. Uh, cause I'm very perfectly understandable. Simple, yeah. Well, dumb. we're amateurs. Yeah. Uh, did we not but, say it at the top? We're amateurs. <laughs> yeah, I think we forgot. <laughs> we're painfully amateurs. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of expeditions that did not go well. It, it also strikes me I, it, like how recent all this stuff is. This was not that we're talking 150 years ago. Oh, yeah. And there was still like so much we did not know that sort of seems laughable now. Yeah. Yep. This is not even this is not even the oldest ship we've covered on on Ship Hits the Fan. <laughs> George W. DeLong, uh, presumably one of Tom DeLong of Blink-182's distant I ancestors. I can only assume so. These must be, right? Uh, so yeah, George W. DeLong was a U.S. Navy officer who was part of an expedition to try and search for survivors of the Polaris in 1873. While ice prevented his ship, the little Juniata, from finding survivors, DeLong yearned to lead another Arctic expedition. Oh, I just want to lead another expedition. Looking out a I window. Must. Forlorn. Sides called DeLong, quote, a real straight shooter who is very thorough and very capable. Would you say he fell in love with the girl at the Arctic expedition? Maybe? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> All the Arctic things. <laughs> he said that DeLong was captivated by the puzzle of what's up there at the top of the world, and he devoted the rest of his life to the goal of being the first man to reach the North Pole. How disappointing must it have been to get up there and be like, there's no puzzle, it's just some ice. Yeah. No puzzle. Well, they didn't even think there Boring. was ice. Sorry. At least with the moon, you're off Earth, you know, and you can look back and see yeah, Earth. Like, yeah. There's just nothing up there. Bennett, who knew that such an exploration would obviously have a ton of news value, would eventually choose DeLong to lead the expedition. And while the trip was a private venture funded by Bennett, it also had the full support of the U.S. government. Congress passed legislation that gave the Navy Department control over the expedition. And before it left, the ship was commissioned into the Navy as the USS Jeanette. The ship was overhauled in Britain and was renamed Jeanette after Bennett's sister. Oh. So, so Je yeah. Jeanette Bennett? 
I guess <laughs> that's a better rhyme than Charlotte Jeanette or whatever. It the... was a slant rhyme. Oh, okay. no, it wasn't. It's <laughs> an is 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 nope. assonance. Nope. <laughs> Repeating vowel sounds. Whatever. Yeah. And we, we already said it was like the space stuff. Don't we kind of do that now? I mean, don't the, don't like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, don't they like take astronauts up or something? I mean, it's not they completely take dissimilar. Pete Davidson up. I'm sure it's subsidized in some way. Maybe not fully, but definitely, yeah. Oh, this 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 uh, expedition? The private. No, just the private space race. The private like, space still, stuff yeah, is. Absolutely, yeah. That's why like NASA's gutted because yeah. we have these like doofuses being like, I want to get to space first. We're going to have uh, Mars capitalism and we'll sell the moon for ad space. F***ing <laughs> <laughs> doofuses. Side said that DeLong wanted to reach the North Pole for the Navy and for personal glory, but also for science. He spent five years carefully planning the expedition. I can only imagine the, like, the relationship between these two men where one is like, I care about the discovery, and the science, and the method by which we do it. And uh, Bennett is like, I want to sell newspapers. Yeah. <laughs> I need an A1 story for Sunday's paper, stat. Yeah. <laughs> Side said at the time, the United States was emerging from the Civil War and trying to flex its muscles on the world stage. Mm. Nice. Cool. He added that, quote, up to this point, most of the great polar explorations had been conducted by the British or the Scandinavians, sometimes the Russians, but the United States was entering this game. For the mission, DeLong selected a crew with his top priority being those with Arctic experience. It's probably good. It's probably solid. This has to be like classic dudes being dudes energy. Like this is just, this is like what they live for. Being oh, yeah. Out on a boat for mm-hmm. months and months with the boys, exploring, hunting, just having a great time. Couple of brews. Oh, you know it. Just store them in the ice. Yeah, just just like making up football games to talk about. Talking about sweeties back home. Yep. That you maybe never talk to. Lose a couple toes, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Eat a guy. Somebody brought a guitar and for once everyone was stoked to see it come out. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So some of his old crewmates from the little Juniata joined him, including Lieutenant Charles W. Chip, who was second in command. Hmm. Also joining the crew was George Melville, who was the Jeanette's engineer and allegedly related to the writer Herman Melville. Hmm. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Moby Dick. That's that's Are you familiar? I am familiar. I just Ever wonder if it? there's a if there's a long distant relative from the Melvilles who was also in a popular American rock band. Not off the top of my head, but I'm sure somewhere down that line, yeah. There's got to be one. Eventually, yeah. Oh yeah, they use that Moby Dick money to get him an agent and yeah, 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 yeah nepotism. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of nepotism, yeah. Melville nepotism. Everybody who's famous now, you can trace it back a few hundred years. Yeah, yeah. I, there's a pop artist I listened to whose grandparents were on the Titanic. Okay, uh, they were very wealthy, so they they lived. Yeah, sides described Melville as a quote larger than life character, saying he could fix anything. The kind of guy that usually had a welding torch in his hand. He would take machines apart and rebuild them or cannibalize other machines for parts. This feels like a show. It I mean, feels that, like yeah. Firefly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's a guy you want on your expedition. Oh, yeah. Well, every, team needs a, every team needs a fix-it guy, too. Yeah, a yeah, guy yeah. who's like a, a, got a, a blowtorch or a, a torch down and is with the mask on and he's fixing things and he's yelling back oh, up that yeah. he needs more time. He's probably, really, yep. he's probably filthy with like soot and grease. He's got a Scottish accent. He's got a Scottish accent. <laughs> I'm trying to fix her, Captain. Others included William Nindeman, 
who was a survivor of the Polaris expedition. In all, there were 33 men in the expedition party. If I was in the Polaris expedition, there's not enough money to get me to go back. I think it's the rush. Get it in your blood. This is He's like the Ripley in Aliens. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll get back out there. Yeah. yeah I guess. I guess. Sure. Yeah. So around the time the Jeanette was preparing to set sail, the U.S. Coast and Geodetic Survey was studying the latest data obtained from its research ships in the Bering Sea. The material indicated that, contrary to many theories, the Kuro Siwo had no perceptible effect on the areas north of the Bering Strait. The survey's report dismissed the entire concept of gateways and a warm polar sea. <laughs> but by the time those conclusions were published, the Jeanette had already set sail. Uh, wait! Yeah. Wait! Come back! <laughs> Turn around! We got a telegram from DC from some nerds. Yeah, meanwhile, Melville is like playing guitar and they're like, we're going on an adventure. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> they're already drunk. <laughs> He's name dropping his more famous relative. Alleged relative. Alleged yeah. relative, yeah. So let's get into the voyage. The Jeanette left San Francisco on July 8th, 1879, with huge crowds seeing it off. There was even an 11-gun salute from the army. Wow. Yeah. Firing through the sails. Pulled out all the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Blasting into the ship. They were firing into Chinatown, <laughs> saying, get out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. San Francisco, baby. Ooh, not a great time. Not a great nope. time for San Francisco. No. The first weeks traveling north went smoothly. On August 3rd, the ship reached the Aleutian Islands to the south of Alaska. Nine days later, it reached a small port on the Alaskan mainland called St. Michael. All right. Yeah. Seems fine so far. Uh, the ship continued through the Bering Strait, headed toward Wrangell Island, also known as Wrangell's Land. <laughs> sure. Uh, that was a small Russian island just north of the eastern tip of Siberia. If you wish to pass, you must please wrangle. <laughs> Answer Wrangle's riddles. <laughs> I feel like even Russia didn't know what was what was there. Like they probably didn't even know what was at Siberia. No, They're no, like, no. ah, we're, we're, it's ours. Just, yeah. just yeah, know, yeah. That, it's know ours. that it's ours and don't go near it. So that was where DeLong wanted to establish his winter camp. On September 2nd, the Jeanette had made it to about 100 nautical miles from Wrangle's land. But there was a problem. The ice was thickening all around the ship. Yeah. That's the probably the biggest problem you can have up there. It's pretty bad yeah. because, you know, I, you would think that ice only forms around land, but it turns out it forms around uh, great wooden ships. Yeah. <laughs> Even well. if they're steam powered. There was also a theory, and I don't know if DeLong thought this, but that Wrangell's land might not have been an island, that it might have been connected to a larger landmass. Ah, okay. That they could, because they don't, they're in almost into uncharted waters at yeah, this point. Yeah. And like, so no one is like a hundred percent on what is or what isn't up there. That's mm -hmm. so wild. The idea of like, that could be a new continent. It's not, but like, yeah. What if it were? We don't but know. It could be. We don't know. Yeah. yeah. Two days later, DeLong reportedly tried to use the ship to ram a pack of ice, trying to batter a way through, but it didn't work. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Right. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Some whalers saw a thick plume of smoke from the Jeanette, which was the last sighting of the Jeanette from the outside world. Yeah. The next day on September 5th, the Jeanette was completely immobilized in ice. Oh, oh man. That's got to be a sinking feeling. Uh, or not. Hey. Well, not so, yeah, sink, yeah. Hey, <laughs> come on. That ship is the fam, baby. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, the expedition to the North Pole was a failure. So, yeah. Oops. From here on out, for the next two years, 
two years, the crew would simply try to survive and get back home. Yeah, they're way, way up, uh, you know, in, in to call it on the fringes of society. That's not even it's it's just they're way the hell out there. Yeah. No radio. They can't just call for. No, no, no. Oh, no. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. You're just there. With your 32 best friends in the whole world. <laughs> yeah. Can it be so bad? Exactly as they'd planned, just to get away from the wives for a few years. Oh, my God, the ball and chain. <laughs> Side said at this point in the calendar, the clock was ticking on DeLong and the crew. He said, they don't have much time. They know winter is coming. They've got the remaining summer months to reach Siberia, dragging their three small boats across this impossible landscape of sludge and slurry and slop. You left in July. That's why you didn't have a lot of time. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Leave in May. Yeah. Early spring. DeLong held out hope that the weather would change by the end of September or early October and release the ship from the ice. But that did not happen. And in the weeks that followed, DeLong realized that the ship would be trapped in ice for the winter. Captain, are we going to get out? Yeah, it's it's going to be fine. I'm sure we'll be fine. Yeah. Boys, I got some bad news. <laughs> I, got, I got some good yeah. news and some bad news. The good news is we're going to be spending a lot more time hanging. Uh, <laughs> so I think... Bad put, news, though. Put the, put the guitar are, down for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is serious. We are stuck in the ice for the winter, which, from what I've heard in the Arctic, very cold. <laughs> I hope uh, you guys don't have any plans for the next two years. Yeah. So the ship would drift in the ice slowly toward the northwest. Meanwhile, the crew replenished their supplies by hunting, killing seals and polar bears. So it wasn't all bad, because that sounds fun as hell. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Can you imagine, can you imagine, though, how on everybody's nerves you must be getting? Like, everyone must be so sick of each other. Like, that same writer said there was this Irish meteorologist on board who uh, had a propensity for delivering puns and lyrics. Oh, Oh, God. They had a Charlotte. (laughs) After, like, years of this, everyone, like, wanted to kill him. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I can tolerate, like, working with Charlotte because it's eight hours a day, but I get to go home and have, like... And then stream with me. Well, some (laughs) like, 14 hours with that. If it was 24-7, you're long dead. Long since dead. Okay. By well, my, and I'm in prison for life. Well, we don't need to get into this. And yes, I do trust that the justice system will be swift and, you know, avenge me. But also, don't count me out. Okay. Uh, well, okay. Because Brian's in my corner. Right, right Brian? <laughs> He's a long ways away. <laughs> That's right. I, I, I'll be there in 15 hours. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bury you. To be my character witness. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine, too? I'm sure the crew was like, we are so sick of hearing about Ireland. We got oh, it. God. If it's so much better, go live there, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so for months, the ship barely moved. Christmas and New Year's passed. On January 19th, 1880, ice breached the hull of the Jeanette, and it began to take on water. Oof. Of yeah. course. Yes. The ship was saved by two crew members who waded into the water and stuffed anything available into the exposed areas of the ship. Yeah, the Irish meteorologist. I, yeah, I imagine. <laughs> Melville, the engineer, used materials on board to construct a new watertight bulkhead. That's why you need a Melville. That's why you need a yeah, Melville. Yeah. He's a fixer. Yep. More time passed, and eventually 1880 gave way to 1881. Early in the new year, DeLong noted that after being wrecked for 16 months, the ship had only traveled about 220 nautical miles. This is just like floating, too. You're just going with the ice. 
Yeah, just totally being taken for a ride. Mm -hmm. Finally, on May 16th, they spotted a series of islands. It was the first time they'd seen land for over a year. Whew. That's, uh, I can't imagine it. I mean, yeah. Because <laughs> we, we spend most of our time on land. I would say that the vast majority. Yeah. 99.99. Yeah. yeah. I was in the ocean this past weekend. Well, there you Took go. Took a dip. Yeah. Then I went back up on the beach and read. Right. Yeah. The long road in his journal, quote, there is something then besides ice in the world. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. These were uncharted waters, so the new islands were considered discoveries. DeLong sent a party to claim the territories for the U.S. <laughs> Get out there! Now! Now! We <laughs> Hurry! Go, 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 go! Fellas, we need a win. Yeah. <laughs> we need to bring something back. This would be huge for the Jeanette. <laughs> <laughs> he named the first island Henrietta Island after Bennett's mother and the second Jeanette Island. Henrietta Bennett? Bennetta? Uh, yeah, Henrietta like the names Bennetta? names aren't great. Jeanette but... Bennett? So this is so wild that they can make discoveries while just being taken for a ride on a vast sheet of ice. Yeah. Just like like a lazy river. And also claim it for the U.S. This one is for my boss's mom. <laughs> How does that even work? <laughs> yeah, you're right. Do you think the U.S. even wanted it? They're just like, what? Isn't it I don't, cold? What are like, we going to do with that? I don't, I don't know. I, I can't handle that right now. I'm too busy botching reconstruction. <laughs> yeah. So these discoveries did raise the crew's spirits, and they hoped that the coming of an Arctic summer would finally release the ship from the ice. On June 11th, that happened, but very briefly, <gasps> as the ship floated in a small pool of melted ice. <laughs> Hang on, though. The next day, the ice returned with a vengeance. It crushed the ship's hull, this time for good. Oh my god. Yeah. Fix, fix that one, Melville. Yeah. Yeah. That'll teach you to have a positive moment in this hellscape. <laughs> Go tell your cousin about this. <laughs> DeLong ordered an evacuation, and on June 13th, 1881, the Jeanette sank about 300 nautical miles off the Siberian coast. Little, little too far to swim. A little. And cold. It's like a polar bear plunge. Yeah. For 300 miles. They had some little boats, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, obviously you couldn't float those yet. No. The crew, now on top of sea ice, left their ruined ship and traveled south using dogs and sleds. They were planning to march to the new Siberian islands and then use their small boats to get to the Siberian mainland. Yeah, and the new Siberian islands were established. Like, th that was known territory. So they're trying to get back to kind of the known universe because they're still pretty right. far north of that. Yeah, they're just trying to salvage not anything about the expedition, just to survive. Yep. Which is just like so wild. Like after all this preparation and stuff, it's just like, oops. Oops. Yeah. After weeks of travel through frigid conditions, on July 29th, they discovered another uncharted island. DeLong named this one Bennett Island, and he named the point of landing Cape Emma after his wife. DeLong's wife or Bennett's? Because I feel like he's been throwing a lot of bones Bennett's <laughs> wife. Yeah. Emma, I think Mrs. DeLong got one. Hey, I know I was gone for, uh, three, four, five years, but I named an island in the middle of nowhere after you. Yeah, it's like naming a star. Not even an island, a cape. A it cape, was a cape. Yeah, yeah. You get a cape. Were there no islands? Oh, uh, well, I had to name them after my boss's, uh, <laughs> like, female family. Yeah. Yeah, come on. So they rested there for a week. At this point, the ice had loosened, so they transferred to boats. The crew finally reached the New Siberian Islands on August 20th, and at this point, they were back in the charted world. So it's Got to be kind of a good feeling. 
It would have been funny if he named the cape Mrs. George DeLong. (laughs) (laughs) DeLong steered their boats through the islands, stopping at the tiny Semyonovsky Island on September 10th. At this point, they were less than 100 nautical miles from the Siberian coast. Is that uh, Semyonovsky Bennett? (laughs) You'd have to assume. After a few days of rest on the island on the morning of September 12th, the group split up in three different boats. All were headed to mainland Siberia. Thirteen men went with DeLong in a large cutter. What is a cutter? I looked this up and it immediately left my mind. It's a boat of sorts. Yeah. Okay, I searched cutter. Uh, it's a type of fastball. Oh. It's like a little sa- it's like a little sailboat, like the kind that you think of like in yacht races or something, like those America's Cup races. Kind oh, of. yeah. Sure. So, oh, where did they have a sailboat? That is amazing. I can't believe they dragged those three boats. But yeah, at this point, boats um, leaving dogs. that island, this is where the group splits into three and they their paths really diverge at this point. We're, we're really yeah. going our separate ways and we have very, very different things. Yeah, well, they spent September 11th together and then <laughs> all went their different directions. So seven went with Chip, who was the second in command in the smaller cutter. Finally, 10 went with Melville, the engineer, in the whale boat. Fitting. Yeah. Initially in the... Why did they have a whale boat? For the whales. Just in case. <laughs> they were hungry. It was years. They I had mean, to kill something. I know, but still, like a whale boat. They think they were just going to do some casual whaling? I feel like that's a pretty... Have you never overpacked for a trip? I bring my, I bring my switch everywhere. I don't ever play that damn thing. <laughs> So initially in the morning, the ships made good progress, but by the afternoon, a storm had developed and the boats lost sight of each other. Both DeLong and Melville rode out the storm using sea anchors. Each would eventually land on the Siberian mainland a few days later in an area called the Lena Delta. But Chip's boat never reached land. It was presumably overwhelmed by the storm and all eight men were lost. Ugh. Yeah. Yikes. So after making landfall, DeLong's party went off in search of settlements. They found some empty huts on September 21st, where they rested for several days. Do you remember? (laughs) A week later, they found a large hut, but still no sign of people. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's something. We got shelter, but we got nothing else. And we're, we're, getting, we're getting low on food here. Yeah. yeah. Also, start looking at the crew members. <laughs> yeah, well, they got the dogs, and, and That's they must have a whale somewhere with them still. They've been just dragging along. At the along very least, a, a whale ship. <laughs> yeah, it's got to have some. They can eat the guitar. Yeah. I, I, didn't, I wasn't familiar with the finer details of this story, so I had not had it, I guess in a manner of speaking, spoiled for me that any of them didn't survive. So I got to the line... Here in the dock about Chip's ship going down. And I was like, ah. Yeah. Oh, there's eight. Gone. There it goes. Yep. Yeah. I'm like, well, we had a good run. Yeah. So by October 9th, DeLong's party was low on food. Some of his party were in bad shape and they were starting to get desperate. DeLong sent two of the fittest men in the group, crew members William Nindeman and Louis Noros, to go look for help. Louis Noro. That's when it's getting bad. When you're like, okay, just try to go find somebody. Yeah, I'm just going to send you two off in a direction and we're just going to hope that you, you know, find someone. Good luck, fellas. Yeah, Yeah. maybe we'll see you. Maybe we will never see you again. Yeah. DeLong's group continued on, but they eventually ran low on supplies. On October 20th, they were forced to come to a halt due to the frigid weather. Meanwhile, Melville's group had better luck. After making landfall, they encountered native Yakut huntsmen on September 19th. The huntsman led Melville's group to a tiny settlement and then to a larger village. 
That's what you want to run into. Oh yeah, oh, so yeah. Now we're, yeah. People who <laughs> are who you want to like fully adapted to living in this climate. It's their home, you know. Side said that the natives played a huge role in saving these guys. I mean, I would say <laughs> the biggest, the role, maybe the the entire role was yeah, them saving yeah. these guys. He added, quote, there's one particularly touching moment where a Yakut woman washes Melville's frostbitten and dirty feet, then coats them with goose grease. Sounds kind of disgusting, but it worked miraculously. Never, never count out I mean. goose grease. Well, DeLong's group is not getting goose grease. They don't know what the f*** to do. No. You know? <laughs> even if they found goose grease, they wouldn't know what to do with it. No. They probably don't even know how to make it. I would assume you grease a goose. Yeah. <laughs> Melville's plan was to reach the settlement of Bouloun, which was about 100 miles inland from the coast. Bouloun was a previously agreed rendezvous point with DeLong and the others, where they all agreed to meet should they get separated. After several weeks recuperating, Melville learned from a traveler that two Americans were in Bouloun. Probably a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, they're just on vacation. It's a honeymoon. How is he learning this? Because none of these people, I'm positive that they're coming across speak English at all. That's a good... Yeah. I think when they were stuck on the ship all those months and years, they played a lot of charades. So they probably <laughs> yeah. got really, really good at that. I'm sure there's a way to say, you know, like someone who looks like you is in this yeah. other points place. Points at you, points at your arm skin and says two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Melville set out for Balloon, arriving on November 3rd. It was there that he found Nindemann and Noros from DeLong's group. They told him of DeLong's terrible condition and that he needed rescuing. From Balloon, Melville sent messages to Washington, D.C. and the New York Herald, telling them what had happened, that the Jeanette was lost. He also told them of the survivors and those who were still missing. So Balloon was, like, somewhat established as, like, a... I mean, they must have had ways to communicate. Yeah, I think before that, we're talking about really small little villages, and I think Balloon was a little bit more substantial. Because okay. they they must have because they knew about it beforehand because that was the rendezvous point so it must have been known to the outside world. Okay, gotcha. Melville set out from Balloon on November fifth in search of the others with the help of two local guides. Uh, at one village, natives brought him notes from DeLong's party that they'd found buried in a pile of stones. One directed Melville to a cache of logbooks and instruments that DeLong had buried. It's amazing. It, it it's so astounding the way that these like rescues or or attempted rescues happen i know and melville had just gone through this himself like yeah. he was a survivor and then he's like nope i'm gonna go find him like i'm gonna we're, we're gonna go find yeah him. you got like, it he, he's the real like he's a, a pretty heroic figure at all we've this. said it before and we'll say it again you gotta have a melville yep absolutely at this point the approaching winter made more travel impossible Melville returned to Balloon at the end of November. He then went on to Yakutsk, where he was reunited with the other survivors of his party. In January of 1882, most of the survivors began the journey home, but Melville, Nindemann, and James Bartlett prepared to again make a new search of the Lena Delta and their lost crewmates. They weren't going to let it go. This is DeLong's group they're looking for? Yes. By March, when a thaw began, Melville's group systematically searched the area. They found artifacts, including a hunting rifle and, most importantly, DeLong's journal where they learned of his party's final days. Eventually, all of the bodies of DeLong's party, except one, were found. Damn. Yeah, I wonder what happened to that one. Uh, it's probably that Irish guy. He probably lived, but oh, nobody wanted to rescue yeah, okay. him. And he's just like, ah, I'll just go home. 
I'm off. I'm off. She just walks into the night. He disappears. He disappears in a puff of green smoke yep. and yep. heads back to Dublin. <laughs> Melville's party wrapped all the bodies in canvas and carried them to a hill. On the hill, they placed the bodies in a large coffin made from driftwood, which they covered with rocks surmounted by a large wooden cross inscribed with the names of the lost men. So those two, though. Yeah, the ones that got away. They got out. Oh, the um, Noros and Nindemann? Yeah. They did? Yeah. Yeah, that's who he, yeah. he met up they, with them. They were the fit oh, ones. Oh, those the yes, those were the two away. Americans. That's yeah. see, I didn't even really put it together. I was like, well, sure, yeah. there's just two guys somewhere. <laughs> so Melville's group left the site on April 7th, 1882, then spent another month in the Delta searching without success for signs of Chip and his crew. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so they did not know that they had not even gotten out of the, the cutter. Yeah. Y'all tried, though. Man, they gave it a good try. And that, that can't have been without danger this search just for them too oh, no. so yeah no 100% so now for the aftermath oh please patrick tell <laughs> us about the aftermath of the 33 men in the Jeanette's crew only 13 returned to the US good lord yeah public interest in the Jeanette was high especially after they'd received melville's news of the ship's fate Bennett sent several reporters to Russia, one of whom reached the Lena Delta and opened DeLong's tomb to search for papers and records. I want Good a scoop. Lord. <laughs> I want... Oh my God. There, there, Geraldo Rivera opened the tomb up, but he found something. It was very exciting. <laughs> Good God. That is gruesome. I don't care how many bodies you defy. You're a paper man, damn it. Get up there and open that tomb. I need a headline, damn it. <laughs> The first group of survivors returned to New York in May 1882. Melville, Nindeman, and Noros returned on September 13th of that year. God. It's been so long. Yeah, when did they set out? Uh, July of 79, so almost over three years, right? Yeah. yeah. World went and got itself in a damn hurry, <laughs> probably. I don't know how much progress was made. A naval inquiry was convened in October, and the survivors were the principal witnesses. It found that DeLong was not to blame for the ship's loss. They ruled that he had conducted the subsequent retreat in an exemplary manner. It was the Irishman's fault. <laughs> it was the Irishman. Yep. Uh, which we have the answer to our usual question. Did the captain go down with the ship? Not technically in a physical sense, but in the well, abstract. Yeah. Yeah. He, he fought to the, to the bitter end and did go down. Yes. Naval officers were also dispatched to the Lena Delta to search for traces of the lost explorers, especially Chip's party. None were found. The remains of DeLong and the rest of the crew were eventually brought back to the United States in 1884. Some were buried privately. The bodies of DeLong and six others were taken to Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx and buried together. Wow. If anyone's out there, take, take a picture. Yeah, yeah. Send us oh, a picture. Yeah. That'd be awesome. In October 1890, a monument to the expedition's dead was unveiled at the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. Its design is based on the original cross raised at the burial site on the Lena Delta. Yeah, that's, that is I that guess is if you're neat. near there, also send us a yeah. photo of that. Yeah, yeah, if you've been there. Somebody tweeted us a picture of them on the Peter Iredale. Oh, really? Oh, great. Yeah. That, did that just happen then? Yeah, like within the last hour or so. Oh, yeah. cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look that up and retweet it. After the record? Yeah, after the record. Okay. I was checking the time. <laughs> okay, okay. In 1890, Congress authorized the Jeanette Medal awarded to the officers and crew of the expedition. Melville was the only survivor who ever returned to the Arctic, helping rescue survivors of a subsequent expedition. 
guy's into the rescue game. He has a stone cold badass. He looks like somebody got bit by the rescuing Arctic expeditioners <laughs> bug. Yeah. Someone's going to like tweet at us afterwards that he was actually a f-ing monster because it's the 1870s. Yeah, probably. But, you know, whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's, he's for the sake of this episode. <laughs> yeah, the, from what uh, we know uh, about him, he seems cool. Seems like a, 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 a real good fella. He racistly saved a lot of people. Yeah, probably. Yeah, he was probably bad to like, you know, women and children. He rose through the ranks of the Navy, eventually becoming a rear admiral. He wrote about the Jeanette expedition in his book, In the Lena Delta. Melville died in 1912. I wonder if it was before or after the endurance got lost. Oh, yeah. That he died, because that was the year. Right around. (laughs) Let me get it. I can save them. One last ride. (laughs) The last survivor of the expedition was Herbert Leach, who became a factory worker, and he lived until 1935. The voyage, despite never reaching the North Pole, did provide some valuable information. Three Arctic islands were discovered. They were part of an archipelago with two others that were discovered a few years later. They are now known as the DeLong Islands, and despite DeLong claiming them for the U.S., they have always been considered part of Russia. <laughs> oh, George, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. There's still the DeLong Islands on the map, though. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that's, that's a win. something. Yeah, he, he, he helped me. His legacy's there. Yeah. Yeah, he, well, he, is he not? Oh, no, no, he's in the Bronx. Yeah. In 1884, wreckage from the Jeanette was found on an ice flow near the southwestern corner of Greenland. This proved that a continuous current flowed from east to west across the polar sea. Wow, that's yeah. that's amazing that despite all of it, discovery was achieved. Uh, yeah. The voyage was the death knell for the theory of the open polar sea, but the Jeanette's meteorological and oceanographic records have been valuable for climatologists researching climate change and the shrinking polar ice caps. The first undisputed expedition to reach the North Pole was the airship Norge, which flew over the area in 1926, led by the Norwegian polar explorer Roald Amundsen. It's surely twirling the ends of a curled handlebar mustache. Oh, Roald? Yeah, Roald's a legend. (laughs) Is Roald a legend? Yeah, are you serious? That's the smartest way to get up there. Just Just fly over there. Yeah, amazing fur coats on Roald. Oh, I have seen pictures of this You fella. definitely have. He's incredibly famous. Oh, I need to look him up. Yeah. <laughs> Is he really famous or are you just kidding? Roald Amundsen? Yeah, are you kidding? You never, you don't, you don't know Roald? I'm not up on my Norwegian polar explorer. I mean, I, yeah, Isn't I Isn't he the first? It. I think he's the first that's what to we get just to the said. South Pole. Yeah. Norwegian no, that's the South Pole. Oh. This was going to the North Pole. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he look did, at that he guy. Did it all. Yeah. Oh, my man's, my man's pulling off some fits. That yeah. is. Yeah. That is nice. He's 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 nice with it. I'll say that about Rold. All right. Well, that's anyway. the, that's the Jeanette. Yeah. I'm cold. Yeah, listening I know. To this. Like this is just frigid. I'm always drawn to these stories of ships getting frozen and the expeditions. I loved AMC's The Terror. Uh-huh. I, I I watched a, another film recently on Netflix that was about a similar thing. I love. I've said it on the show before. I love men who are driven to madness or celebrate Christmas in hopeless conditions on the ice. Mm-hmm. All of that. Give, give me more. You know, get at me at MC underscore Alada with more recommendations because I will watch this stuff constantly until the end of my days. That's great. Uh... That's the honorable mention Foghorn. This one today goes out to all the folks who have uh, reviewed us in 
anger that we inject our politics into the show. <laughs> <laughs> Why do the hosts do that? Why do they put their politics in? We really don't. We really don't. Yeah. Um, but we'll tell you right now, if that's what you're thinking, maybe stop listening. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because you're only going to get more upset. These lefty shipwreck podcasters are killing me. So... We are talking today about one of our favorite nautical, um, I would say, happenings of recent years, because we're heading a little further south from the North Pole to the warmer Yee-ho! waters <laughs> near Austin, Texas, where the, these boats did not have Melvilles. No, they didn't. Uh, uh, they just had Irishmen <laughs> who were doing limericks. My boat definitely could have used a Melville. Instead, it's at the bottom of Ladybird Lake. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Well, <laughs> Lake Travis. Yeah, well, okay. Sounds like an out-of-towner. Okay, well, I'm out, I'm out of my depth. I'm just reading an article. So, basically, they put out the call, decorate your boats in patriotic colors and fly as many Trump flags as she can handle. That's from the Facebook page for the Lake Travis Trump Boat Parade. Uh, oh, unfortunately, <laughs> when you get hundreds of boats in a lake... <laughs> All moving together, uh, the relatively calm waters become extremely turbulent. A lot of churn. Yeah. Travis County (laughs) Sheriff's Office received 15 distress calls and uh, received three more reports of boats taking on water. A lot of uh, water displacement that day, if you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Lake Travis. Uh, Apparently, it happened almost immediately. Like the boat parade started and, and boats were taking on water and they were getting calls it, like almost instantly. So you had, yeah, stalled engines, capsized boats, boats sinking uh, almost immediately. And I'm proud to be an American. Mayday, mayday, mayday. They didn't even get past the first line of Lee Greenwood. They didn't even get to the part where it like pauses. No. Yeah. And I proudly stand and, uh, <laughs> And then it just paused. Yeah, they never yeah. got to the next to you. Stand up, place your hand over your heart, and get bucked into the side of your <laughs> tiny little boat. The pictures from this are amazing because it's like oh, these yeah. little boats with enormous flags, like a, yeah. like a dozen of them, it looks like, going off the top. And some absolutely- they all have like the wakeboard yes. uh, thing that goes, the bars that go over the top. Yes, they all have the, like that, that structure on it, and they are terrified. And oh, it's yeah. so funny because like it's like, we're going to take this to the liberals in Austin, Texas. Well, and, that's, and because, that's funny to say because there was one of the boats that sank had a make the liberals cry again flag on it. <laughs> oh, apparently, though, that boat didn't capsize. Oh, Never they, mind. Sorry. They, that one didn't sink. They above they that were day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I lost a very good anti-Colin Kaepernick flag that day. So <laughs> At the bottom of the This is near and dear to my heart. So most of the boats that were, you know, floundering, taken on water, did make it to the shore. However, five did sink that day. We did lose five good boats that day. And I proudly stand up. Oh my God, we're going down. (laughs) And most of those people, I'm sure, had not had to seriously swim since the (laughs) 70s. No, definitely not. Oh my God. They were not prepared to be tossed overboard because their boat sank. Oh, yeah. Um, so <laughs> their oxygen machines were dragging them down. Yes. When this was happening, it, it was like 
one probably the one of the brightest spots of the lockdown was getting to see these photos coming across. It was before the yeah. like election yeah. was like fully picking up steam headed into November. And it was just kind of like, wow, just really a staggering, beautiful, awesome moment. Yeah. Really extraordinary stuff. Yeah. So uh, shouts out to the brave men and women who sank their if you boats don't, in a lake. It, I know it's like, it's kind of crazy to think that this is like, because the weather was very calm that day. Look up photos of this if you're not sure what we're talking yeah, about. Because it should... looks like they are in open water during a hurricane. <laughs> it is there aren't, yeah, there aren't huge, there aren't huge waves in Austin. There's not right. like it's a lake. It it's... turns out though, uh, when you get that many boats out there, all I imagine very excited, maybe driving a little recklessly, uh, probably some booze involved. Yeah, it creates some uh Frenzy. Difficult conditions. And and hey, let me say, if if this little segment here at the end of the show has, ha, if you feel compelled to take to the comments section or the review section in your podcast app, or even tweet at the show in any like angry fashion, just take a walk, you know? Yeah. Get some fresh air, you get know? Get some laps in at the Y. Get some laps. <laughs> hey, get, head over to the nearest lake. Take the schooner out. Uh, Yeah, so- there you have it. All right. That's, that's Ship Hits the Fan for this week. We are uh, in the second half, uh, deep in the second half of this run of the show. Yeah. And uh, as we said at the top, review, rate, share, uh, tell your mom about it. We got some fun ones coming up too. Yeah, we got some really fun ones, some some perhaps fan requested. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, follow us. We're not doing it because fans requested it. No, we do what we want. Own volition. Exactly. That's right. We will never do anything. No, unless we compel ourselves to. Yes, correct. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.